Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. So, do, I mean, should we start off the call with just like a whoop? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's like appropriate. Uh, I'm talking to Will Ahmed, who is the founder and CEO of Whoop. So, Will, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me, Ari. So, for those who are not familiar, Whoop is, and I'll let Will describe it more, but Will, Whoop is a, a health tracking device. And uh, I've been testing it out for a few weeks now since they so graciously sent it to me. It's really cool and works on HRV and a bunch of other stuff that I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, Will, before we even get to the device, like how did you, what's your background? How did you get to this idea of Whoop? Well, our mission at Whoop is really to unlock human performance. And I personally got into this space because I was always into sports and exercise and I was training as an athlete uh, growing up. And ultimately I went to play uh, squash at Harvard and I had the, uh, the pleasure of being captain of that team. And in the process of being a college athlete, I really found that I didn't know what I was doing while I was training. I didn't know what I was doing to my body. I mean, and I was someone who used to overtrain almost every season where you go through this period of being run down and fatigued. And I was generally surrounded by athletes who I felt were, you know, either getting injured or misinterpreting fitness peaks or certainly not understanding the importance of recovery or sleep. And so for me, it was getting very interested in how could I better understand the human body um, on a personal level? And that led me down the rabbit hole of studying physiology at Harvard. I probably read something like 500 medical papers by the time I graduated. And, uh, and I ultimately wrote a paper myself around how I thought you could continuously understand the human body. And that was really the, the launch point for, for starting WHOOP. So why, uh, well, and so any physical device company is an interesting challenge in itself. Uh, and I mean, you have to do a physical device to get this kind of data that you want. There's one thing that's extremely unique about uh, the Whoop, which is that it has no screen on it. Right? So we have all these sort of health trackers out there and things, uh, but this doesn't have that. So what was the decision around that? Well, you know, just to back up for half a second, like we wanted to create uh, an ecosystem that could monitor your body 24-7. And a lot of the uh, the research that I did showed that monitoring the body 24-7 was the lens into understanding your body. And if you think about the analogy between taking a picture and watching a movie, a movie tells you a much better story. And uh, the same is true with health data, where when you go do that annual, you know, the silly annual checkup at the doctor's office, and they're spending, you know, 15 seconds taking your blood pressure and your heart rate, there's so many different things that may have actually affected the reading in that moment that it's a practically irrelevant reading, in my opinion. Whereas if you could be monitoring everything about that person leading up to that moment, you'd have a very clear picture of where their body is at. And so I wanted to be able to monitor the body 24-7, and that includes sleep, that includes exercise, that includes your daily life. And the more I thought about wearable technology and got interested in design, the more I came to this conclusion that wearable technology either needs to be cool or it needs to be invisible. And both of those points of view led me down the path of not wanting to have a screen on the actual sensor. I felt that 
you know, a lot of people enjoy wearing a watch and I didn't want to have to compete with your watch. And I also felt that uh, if you could create a sensor that was mostly soft goods, you know, namely different bands and materials, then you could allow a wearer to really customize their experience. And so with Whoop, we have all sorts of different bands, different colors, textures, materials that allow you to dress it up however you see fit. Now, I also mentioned invisible because it's very easy to make the Whoop strap actually disappear on your body as well. We now offer other areas in the body that you can wear it, namely your upper arm or your shoulder. Over time, you'll be able to wear it anywhere on your body. And so that idea that you can collect all this information, you can really understand your body, you can be notified by the Whoop app, you know, to know when something's happened and when you need to check in. But otherwise, it's a very passive monitor. And in my opinion, there's probably too many screens in the world today. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super motivated to create another one. That's, that's a very good, good uh, reason for that. And I also, I didn't realize actually you're going to be able to wear it on different parts of your body. And primarily the biometric, uh, the, the uh, what's it, the, the factor that it's looking at primarily is heart rate variability, correct? Yeah. So Whoop collects data across five different sensors, a hundred times a second. We collect about a hundred megabytes of data on a person per day, which is by far the most granular and accurate data you can find from um, any sensor on the market. I think it's why we've been, uh, you know, approved in Major League Baseball and why we became the official recovery wearable of the NFL Players Association, why we work with all the um, Navy SEALs and Fortune 500 CEOs, like really high-end customers use Whoop because of the accuracy of the data. And we've now broadened into the fitness enthusiast market, the endurance competitor market. And a lot of our audience sees value in this ability of monitoring things like sleep and recovery and strain. Those are the three main pillars on Whoop. So every night, Whoop measures how you sleep. And in the morning, we tell you how recovered your body is. And that recovery piece incorporates a lot around heart rate variability, which is something that we've, we've patented all sorts of technology to be able to measure. And it tells you, again, how prepared you are to take on strain for that day. So if you're an athlete, it's able to tell you, okay, maybe today you should do a really hard workout, or maybe today you should take a step back and do an easier workout. Um, and if you're an executive, it helps you start thinking about all the other factors in your life um, that may be affecting how you're recovering, namely uh, your travel or your sleep or your stress levels. Then over the course of the day, it's monitoring, uh, monitoring the stress that you put on your body. That could be in the form of exercise or daily activity. And we measure, okay, this is how much strain you've accumulated. And, and in the process, we'll tell you to take on more strain or take on less strain, again, based on what the status of your body is. At the end of the day, we look at the strain that's accumulated on your body. We look at who you are and we say, okay, this is actually how much sleep you need for tonight to recover for tomorrow. And then the whole thing starts again. So that, that 24-7 cycle is almost like a 24-7 coach, where it's trying to live a step ahead of you from a data standpoint and tell you what to do. So with you now, and, and again, you know, track, it's tracking stress, tracking sleep, and you can get proactive about that, that if you had a particularly stressful day, then you might want to take it a little bit easier the next day. Uh, for you personally, how, how do you use the information on a daily basis? Well, a lot of it for me is making sure that I'm optimized, not just for training, because, you know, I'm not a collegiate athlete anymore, but, um, you know, as a CEO at work, 
And so I travel a lot for work. So a big thing that I look at is what are all the different factors that I can control uh, to help, you know, offset jet lag or offset travel. And so I've tested a lot of different things about my my travel schedule to optimize, uh, again, for being really, op, you know, recovered in whatever city I may be, may be landing. I also still work out probably, you know, five to six days a week. And so I'll I'll alter the workouts that I'm doing depending on how recovered my body is. Again, you want to really balance how recovered your body is with how much strain you're putting on it. So, uh, for example, when I still play squash today, it's a very high strain workout. So I'm not going to do that necessarily unless I have a high recovery. Uh, if I work out with my trainer or I do a personal weightlifting session, that actually tends to be lower strain, more manageable. So if I have a lower recovery on WHOOP, I'm going to prioritize some kind of a weightlifting, um, some kind of weightlifting exercise. I do all sorts of other activities. Um, I'll box occasionally. I'll do yoga. Uh, I'll go to a spinning studio. Uh, I play in a soccer league. So I still like to stay super active and. What I've learned over, you know, years of wearing Whoop, but, you know, you could learn in just weeks wearing Whoop, is what, what are these different activities and what are their effect on my body? And then by knowing those different activities and how they affect my body, I can actually determine uh, what's ultimately the right activity for today. So do you, do you ever have a day where, like, you might feel pretty good, but you look at the Whoop and it's like, no, 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 this is not the day to work out hard. And you just, like, switch it up and do yoga or something. <laughs> Yeah, it happens all the time. And, uh, and, and by the way, if you're, um, you know, I've read about, about you, Ari, as well. Like if you're someone who's kind of a go, go, go person like I am, uh, and I think like a lot of entrepreneurs are, it's helpful to have something that just checks in with you and says, hey, you actually need to dial it back right now. Or, hey, you need to get another hour of sleep tonight. Uh, because without that information, I don't know, I, I certainly wouldn't be telling myself that for better or for worse, right? And so I think that's how you see a lot of high performers uh, ultimately burn out. I'm proud to say I've been running Whoop for six years now, you know, um, many weeks working 80, 100 hour weeks. But because I've been able to monitor my body and think about all the different things in my life and how they affect my body, I've, I've been able to just keep running. Uh, you know, I haven't had that moment of collapse or burnout since starting the company. And I think a lot of that goes back to, to the data that Whoop collects and, and uh, you know, being my first customer of the product and that I use that information to intelligently change my behavior. So as a, as a company now, let's switch gears for a second. What, what are some of the main challenges you're facing in growing the company at this point? Well, I think the most exciting challenge is that we're now focused on uh, a larger consumer audience. You know, Whoop was founded uh, to, to help and serve really the best athletes in the world. So today we work with hundreds of the top sports properties in the world. Um, you know, I mentioned we're distributing Whoop to every player in the NFL and we work with the Navy SEALs. And so like super, super high end performers. And that's where the company was founded. We've learned fascinating things from working closely with those teams. A lot of those teams have gone on to win um, professional championships, national championships, uh, reduce injury. And we've taken a lot of those learnings and we've applied them to the consumer audience. And that consumer audience obviously has more people. There's just not that many professional athletes in the world, collegiate athletes in the world. 
So we get to now work with a larger audience of people um, that, that mind you, it's not, it's not for everyone, right? Um, but for anyone who's aspirational and wants to improve, wants to perform at a high level, Whoop is for you. And so, you know, we've got a lot of fitness enthusiasts coming on the platform, people who work out at gyms like CrossFit, and SoulCycle, and Equinox. We've got a ton of endurance competitors coming on the platform now, runners, cyclists, swimmers, triathletes, marathoners. Uh, we're seeing a growing number of high school athletes joining the platform because, again, of the work that they've seen us do with uh, professional and collegiate programs. And, uh, and, and then we also have a, a number of executives and, uh, you know, again, competitive individuals in their daily lives who are coming on the platform. So from a scale standpoint, and it's an exciting time uh, in the history of Whoop because we're now focusing more on, uh, you know, being a public facing company and marketing. And, and for me, I get to now interact on a daily basis with this, you know, growing Whoop community. Which is uh, which is humbling and exciting and and everything else. Is there? <clears throat> I mean, I imagine that you're amassing an enormous amount of data in general. Are there any real eye-opening things that you guys have discovered from the sort of population in general that you're working with? Oh yeah, there's a lot of different directions to take that question. <laughs> I mean, one one thing uh, one thing that's quite interesting is the the power of going to bed and waking up at the same time. So it's this notion of sleep consistency. Uh, you know, I know you write a lot about uh, how can you get more out of less effectively, right? And um, one of the best life hacks I can tell anyone is to go to bed and wake up at the same time. So this past summer, we uh, saw a study come out on the Nash from the National Institute of Health, which looked at uh, the GPAs of uh, about, I think, a thousand uh, collegiate students. And they measured sleep and they measured the, the bedtime and wake time of these uh, students. And then they looked at GPA. And what they found is that the most important predictor of GPA was actually not how many hours of sleep an individual got, but how consistently, how consistently, excuse me, they went to bed and woke up. So if you go to bed at 11 p.m. and you wake up at 6 a.m. Uh, and then one day, you know, you wake up, you go to bed at 1 a.m. and you, you wake up at 8 a.m., that has a bigger effect on your body than um, potentially being someone who consistently doesn't get enough sleep. And so if you've ever met anyone, and I certainly meet people like this all the time, who say they can function on six hours of sleep, uh, what is inevitably happening is you're dealing with someone who has an incredibly rigorous bedtime and wake time schedule. Like they always go to bed and wake up at the same time. And so after this study came out, which was on, say, a thousand people, we actually were able to run uh, the same analysis across uh, literally millions of sleep data sets. You know, that's the power of being a technology company is the scale with which you can learn things. And by applying uh, that logic to millions of data sets, we found indeed that the users who were going to bed and waking up at the same time uh, actually had higher heart rate variabilities and better recoveries. So we then took all that learning and we actually have updated our sleep coach in the app to not just give feedback on how many hours of sleep we recommend, 
but um, when to go to bed and when to wake up based on your circadian rhythm, based on when you normally go to bed and when you normally wake up. And that element of coaching is incredibly powerful. So, you know, that that's one um, one really obvious example. And I could I could list a few more if you'd like. No, that's a great one. And um, so uh, how old are you? I'm 29. Uh, and so like when when do you for you, uh, of course, individual, but for you, just for example, when do you need to go to bed and wake up, generally speaking? I typically go to bed uh, between 11 and 12 and I wake up between seven and eight. So I try to spend eight hours in bed every night if I can. And, you know, more often than not, I probably drift closer to seven and a half hours in bed. Uh, But my sleep efficiency, which is the number of um, hours you spend in bed actually equaling sleep, is quite high. So if I spend eight hours in bed, I'm definitely going to be getting over seven hours of sleep, given my sleep efficiency. What's crazy is that we've worked now with uh, athletes of like all different level levels. And we found that there are some athletes who spend, uh, you know, seven hours in bed and literally six hours and 55 of those minutes are high quality sleep. And we find other athletes, I'm not kidding you, that spend nine hours in bed and get like four or five hours of sleep. And so, you know, what's way more important than, uh, you know, their, their free throw uh, stroke and their mechanics is actually just figuring out what the hell they're doing in their bedroom. Because if you can get them to improve that sleep efficiency, all of a sudden they're going to be uh, uh, an, an athlete of a potential that you haven't seen before. So, uh, so that's where sleep efficiency is also a very interesting concept. And as a general rule of thumb, every person in this world should try to be improving their sleep efficiency because it's a third of your life. And it'd be a shame to spend a third of your life doing a shitty job. Yeah. Yeah. That's also, it's funny. That's like a quagmire in a family guy. He's, he would say like, uh, <laughs> I would always be in bed by 10 and home by 11. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. and also, so, so another thing about that, which, which is, uh, worth, uh, describing for people. So my sleep is, uh, somewhat inconsistent, mostly because I have four small children. Uh, but my sleep latency is, uh, is zero. So that, right. that could be a bad thing, obviously, because that could mean I'm exhausted. But can you just explain that metric for people? So sleep latency is the amount of time that it takes you to fall asleep. And WHOOP accurately measured this, measures this by triangulating a few of our different sensors. And what we find is that if, if you're someone who always has a sleep latency of zero – it's on some level a reflection that your body is really tired and exhausted. But at the same time, it's super efficient. So that's the balance you have to look at. Like I, I actually like just getting in bed and immediately passing out. And uh, my sleep latency is, is close to yours where it's uh, at most five minutes. Typically, it's, it's one or two minutes. And, you know, again, we have some athletes who might be tossing and turning in bed for 20 or 30 minutes. With executives, it tends to be closer to zero, right? Like people who are overspent, who generally say they don't sleep enough, tend to have a, a fast sleep latency. You have other exceptions, though, where someone may or may not have like a real sleep disorder. And that, that'll show up in WHOOP data as well. Now, I want to be clear. We don't diagnose things like sleep apnea. But if you're on WHOOP, and you have something like sleep apnea, it's going to show up in the data. We're not going to say, Ari, you have sleep apnea, 
But we're going to say things like, wow, you got 25 disturbances last night and it took you 25 minutes to fall asleep and 90% of your sleep was light sleep and you barely got any REM and slow wave. Like there's something going on there, right? And so that's for a, for a lot of people who join Whoop, like that, that can be the biggest impact is realizing in the first week, wow, I really need to address this. Yeah. So I'm always fascinated to look at my sleep uh, again because I have the kids. So like a few nights ago, my uh, sleep performance was 70%. I had five hours and 59 minutes of sleep. It said that I needed eight hours and 36. But what I found really funny, I mean, so I had 559 of sleep. It said I was in bed for 610, which is pretty good. I had six disturbances, which is literally a kid waking me up, and uh, but zero sleep latency. So that didn't seem so bad. That's probably not bad for someone with four kids. Like I can tell you, I've, I've heard a lot worse for someone with four kids. <laughs> I actually... Uh, last night was a weird one for me because my apartment, apartment building, the alarm went off at four in the morning. And that's like right around when I'm really hitting my like slow wave REM, REM groove. And, you know, it totally threw me out of whack. And, uh, and so I ended up having to sleep in this morning because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to have to like fight through losing that hour of sleep and being out on the sidewalk. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the things that we know from, all sorts of sleep data is like it's it's one of those vicious cycles, right? That when we're we have bad sleep, we, we don't necessarily recognize it or know it, and we'll just be like, "Nah, I'm just in a bad mood" or something, and just sort of fight through it. So this sort of calls you out on it, which I think is really important. I think as a general rule, like you can only really manage what you measure, and you know, sleep is just a fundamental piece of your life, and so you should be measuring it. And I think Whoop is the best at measuring it. Maybe you find some cheaper uh, way to do it. Uh, but any concept of thinking about sleep and, and you know, assigning some level of data to it, I think is going to be for the better. And then what naturally happens in measuring something is that you start to realize, okay, there's ways I can get better at this. And then you also start to realize, oh, you know, the second martini I had at dinner, wow, look how, look how much worse my sleep latency was, you know, and then you start to make these trade-offs in your life of like... Uh, you know, when's the right time to have that martini or not? And, and, uh, and so I think that's a, that's a power to the system. Yeah. The whoop can help you identify your whoops. <laughs> um, right. so sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, did I mention I'm a, I'm, I'm a dad of four, so I can make dad jokes. Right. Right. The, uh, the last question I always like to ask on these interviews as well is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? <sighs> okay. Good question. So I think, I mean, look, I think one of the keys to being effective is finding something that you care really deeply about and also that you're, you're getting better at. So I think momentum is a really fascinating concept for anyone who's trying to accomplish anything. The first step is you identify something that, uh, that you're passionate about. For me, that was understanding my body. And so, you know, I ended up doing all this research in the science department when, to be honest, I wasn't even a science major uh, at Harvard. I was studying government and economics. And next thing I knew, I was taking all the classes in the science department. And by the way, growing up, I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of science classes either. So, but because I found this like burning problem that I wanted to solve, uh, I became really passionate about it. I read all these medical papers uh, and I actually discovered some things that, that other people hadn't discovered. 
So would I have been able to do that or would I have been effective at it if I hadn't had this kind of personal problem that I wanted to solve? Uh, I think no. The second thing that follows from that is uh, this idea of momentum. And I think, you know, any individual has to be very cognizant of, okay, in the past day, week, month, year, am I moving closer to my goal on something or am I drifting further away from it? And just being cognizant of that can actually help you understand your, in turn, your mood, right? So I realize that if there's a business objective I'm working hard towards, but it's sort of floundering, that, that's going to affect me, right? That's going to affect the way I feel. And it may actually make me less effective, back to your question. And on the flip side, when a couple of things start going right as I'm going after a specific goal, all of a sudden it feels like I'm accelerating, right? It feels like I'm getting to that goal really fast. And so the momentum is building. And I bring this up because I think as an entrepreneur or, again, anyone who's driving towards something that they're trying to solve, you want to recognize these moments where you have the, the wind at your back. And you also want to recognize the moments where you're, you're, you're in a headwind. And by doing that, you kind of learn these moments where you're building up muscle versus you're using your muscle, you know, like I look back on those moments in time where I felt like things with whoop weren't clicking or we were, you know, we were working through challenges and I didn't exactly feel good about it. I look back on that as effectively building muscle um, that now when I've got momentum at my back, I'm able to flex, right? Because I was able to overcome that stuff where I didn't have momentum, all of a sudden I've got the momentum and I'm off for the races. So for anyone listening to this who's trying to overcome something uh, in your life and it's a challenge, just know that the that you know, you're not going to be able to take the training wheels off, so to speak. You're, you're building up this muscle that you're going to be able to use later. You're building up this resilience that you're going to be able to use later. And it's going to actually make you have even more momentum. And then the last thing that I'll say is whenever it comes to uh, taking on a, uh, you know, a real challenge or, or a real problem that you're trying to solve, you got to have great people around you. I've been super fortunate to surround myself with brilliant people uh, people who are much smarter than I am in specific areas. And, uh, and I wouldn't be, um, you know, I wouldn't be on a path towards success, I think, without, uh, without them. And so you have to, in the, in the process, recognize your limitations and then fill in those holes. And, you know, the positive spin of it is the faster you can recognize your limitations, the faster you can find people to fill in those holes and the better you guys are going to be as a team. So, you know, again, it's, it's all positive. And I would probably just add as a fourth thing, positivity is so incredibly valuable uh, to, to any entrepreneurs listening. You know, I think that, uh, you know, in running a business, uh, you need to have cash and you need to have belief. And like short of one, you want to have a lot of the other. You know, like if you're low on cash, you want to really be believing in what you're doing. And if you don't have much belief in your business, hopefully you've got a stockpile of cash to help push you through. Uh, push you through the dark times ahead. Um, so overall, look, I think you can be you can be really effective if you've got uh, a, a problem that you're generally trying to solve, and if you recognize the the way the momentum is swinging and going after it, and you put a great team around yourself and you stay positive. Excellent, excellent answer. Uh, so, Will, thank you so much. Where can people find out more and pick up a device? 
So you can check out Whoop uh, at whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Uh, there are uh, a bunch of exciting opportunities in uh, in the new year to join uh, to join Whoop. Uh, that's whoop.com. Um, you can find me online at Will Ahmed, uh, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. Happy to answer any questions about the product or being an entrepreneur or anything else. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be. Go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.